Would you or anyone you know be interested in the best of what we've learned from over 350 expert interviews? Business expert interviews just like this one you're about to listen to. Plus, I'll share what we discovered spending $50,000 to go through over 100 years of business success research. Thousands of evidence-based scientific studies on what really works. Visit bestbusinesscoach.ca for more info on how, in 90 days or less, you can get eight better business habits or get three times your money back. That's 90 days to eight types of better business, fitness, and mindset habits. These will determine who survives and thrives in these unusual times and who doesn't. Visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. You'll discover our new business coaching and accountability program for business, fitness, and mindset all in one. You'll also learn how you can get over $11,336 in free bonuses for only $1. Go to bestbusinesscoach.ca for more info. That's bestbusinesscoach.ca, like Canada or California. See you there. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. When your life and your business grow as a result of what you're about to discover, please call me and tell me about it. The number to leave a voicemail is 1-888-844-GROW. That's 1-888-844-4769. Long-distance charges may apply. Dial now to call me, connect, share your personal story of how my interviews have helped, or share your current challenges and frustrations so I can connect you with an appropriate course, coach, or help you if you connect. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always, and today we're joined by Kimberly Weefling. And Kimberly enables individuals, teams, and organizations to achieve what seems impossible but is merely difficult. How? Common sense, people leadership, and business management practices have proven to deliver superior results predictably and repeatably. Unfortunately, common sense isn't common practice. If it were, we'd all be rich and thin. So author, keynote speaker, work shock facilitator, and Silicon Valley entrepreneur, please welcome Kimberly. Thank you, Daryl. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. So, um, I mean, you're such a go-getter. We were talking about it for the call. She's helping uh, a, a company or a team. You know, they're, they're refreezing the polar ice cap. She's all over Silicon Valley doing tons of workshops. She's got her hands in 101 different pots. Everybody is, is, is scrapping for her time. I really appreciate you coming here to get started with us. Now, I want to ask you, though, before you, you know, got so involved in Silicon Valley and all these companies in Japan and around the world, you know, how did you get started? Do you come from an entrepreneurial family? Did you have a lemonade stand as a kid? Like, how did you get into business? Oh, my gosh. You know, Daryl, I'm uh, from a blue-collar family. My dad was a welder in the union. My brothers were welders in the union. If I was a boy, I would have been a welder. Uh, Instead, I went and joined the military and got the heck out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and eventually put myself through college. No college loans, happy to say. But, you know, my only businesses as a kid was cutting grass and cleaning houses and little babysitting. I I basically, 
I joined HP and was a wage slave for 10 years before I joined the oh, startup wow. world. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. So you did HP. So first, what did you do in the military? And did, how did that apply to what you did at HP? Well, I uh, learned to repair electronics on uh, airplanes. So uh, transmitters, receivers, intercom devices. And uh, unfortunately, when I was driving to work one day, one of the airplanes that was trying to land had some engine troubles and crashed really close to my car, scared the heck out of me. Oh my and God. my girlfriend's car was three cars ahead and her car was on fire. So it put me off of flying. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. But I learned how to repair electronics, and I was sitting in the little ejection seats, troubleshooting, thinking, I hope it doesn't shoot me in the <laughs> right? Hope I don't cross wires while I'm sitting in this ejection seat. Yeah, don't pull the wrong lever. That's so funny. It's okay. So you worked in the military. You gained all this experience. And then how did you get into HP? Like, what were you, what were yeah. you doing there? Yeah. Well, when I was graduating from my, my, I got my master's degree in physics after getting a bachelor's degree in chemistry and physics. And I thought, geez, I'll be a scientist. And one of my friends said, hey, I'm working at HP and you could be good at repairing mass spectrometers and gas chromatographs and other kinds of analytical products, you know, because I was a chemist a little bit and I knew some of stuff about that. And I said, a repairman after seven years of college, I'm going to be a repairman. But uh, I went on the interview and they wanted me. So I thought, well, what the heck? I give it a shot. I was one of the first uh, women repairmen hired by Hewlett Packard Analytical Group back there in the uh, oh, what was it? Oh, the late '80s. Wow. Okay. So you work with HP for ten years, and then and then what? Yeah. What happens at the well, end of I ten had years? Well, I different jobs at HP, and you know, I so I started off as a repair person, and I'm like, well, why don't I just go to the factory and fix them all at once? Because the designs suck, and so I I went to. <laughs> factory and manufacturing engineering and I said geez it's hard to build these things because of the way they're designed so I worked my way upstairs to the the beautiful people of R&D and figured out how to be product development program manager so that we could design things that worked uh, better and were easier to build and that were easier to use and so uh, my inspiration was you know seeing customers cry when their instrument was so complicated inspired me to help make it easier. Mm. And what a powerful concept. I mean, that's such an easy thing to say. It just rolls right off the tongue, off the tongue. but it's an incredibly powerful approach to take as far as customer satisfaction, streamlining processes, trying to make it just easier on everybody. So, all right, so you're working at HP. You're helping make this product better. And then what happened? After 10 years, you just got bored? Or Well, you know, I wasn't a great match for HP. It stood for happy people. And, you know, I was a much different Myers-Briggs type I'm a really uh, extroverted, I'm very intuitive, I'm very passionate, uh, I'm very uh, outspoken, and HP was full of pretty typical engineering kind of personalities. Some, even some of my friends would say, Kimberly, talking to you is like talking to a blowtorch. So, <laughs> so I said, hey, I really like being this way. And sometimes, you know, one of the guys put up a speed limit sign in manufacturing, and when I would walk through, you know, walking real fast, he would say, rrr, 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 pull it over, lady. Uh, so, yeah, I didn't exactly fit into the pace. You know, I I really wanted to move faster. So and I was looking at all these Silicon Valley startups saying, oh, my gosh, I'd be a much better fit for that. So I actually quit Hewlett Packard uh, twice. I quit once and then they hired me back after six months. <laughs> and they said, oh, this just isn't going to work. And I quit again. So, yeah, I tried. I really tried. Okay. But, you know, I mean, there's a book called In Search of Excellence that talks all about how great things are at Hewlett Packard. And they were great back when Bill and Dave were running the place. But I want to write the book in search of excrement, the crap that really happens at Hewlett Packard, you know, because I saw from the inside and there are some, there are some 
Yeah, it was a dark underbelly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think a lot of people feel that way when they go through kind of a corporate environment. You know, there's there's pros and cons. Corporations can act pretty uh, psychotic if you were to profile them as a human. Oh, yes. They suck your will to live. Oh, my. So, all right. So then what happened at the end of 10 years? You quit twice. You quit the second time. Yeah. What did you do? I went to work for a Silicon Valley startup that was making flat panel displays using a new technology. It was cool technology. It, I got a program management role for product development. Unfortunately, uh, six months later, we were all laid off. It was a complete and utter failure. $700 million wasted. Ah. Whoa, whoa. Just a couple dollars, you know. Yeah, yeah. All that job security was getting, sure was getting boring at Hewlett Packard. Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm sure you were thinking that when you got the notice at the startup. Um, yeah. So then what do you do? All right. So oh, you, then I got another job. I got another job at another startup that failed a couple years later. Uh, and then after that, I got my third and final startup job at another failed startup just before the dot-com bust happened in 2001. And now don't feel too sorry for me, Daryl, because every time one of these companies failed, I got a raise and a promotion. <laughs> what? Yeah. Wow. When the company goes out of business, you go to the next company and you get a raise and a promotion. And by the time I left my third startup, I was a VP of program management and organizational effectiveness, making $175,000 a year, which for me at that time, that was big money. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and you know, I think that that's a, there's a valuable point there, like that, you know, even though the company failed, you still gained so much knowledge, value, and experience, it makes you more valuable for having gone through it. And I think that's an incredible lesson. Uh, for people to consider, right? That it's oh, really about yeah. being in it for the grind, not for the one-time moment. It's more than that. The relationships in Silicon Valley last, long, last longer than the jobs, and the relationships last longer than some of the companies. I mean, I'm still in connection with some of the people that I worked with at these failed companies, you know, 20 years ago. And we still do projects together, and they still call me and say, hey, we need you. It's a great network. So powerful. That's really, really powerful. So, all right. So you kept getting raises and promotions, raises and promotions. I'm sorry, you were VP of, was it product development? Program management and Program organizational management. effectiveness. Yeah, just before the dot-com bust when all the VCs decided they didn't want to invest in companies, they took back all of the venture funding. We come in one day and find out, yeah, we got 30 days left of money wow. in the bank. So it was time to uh, find a new job. And I, I looked a little bit, but honestly, Daryl, after my corporate experiences, even my best corporate experiences, it was very hard for me to fit myself into that corporate grind. And I was really wanting to have my own business by that time and see if maybe I was tired of looking up and seeing people doing things that seemed stupid to me. And it's like, well, if I'm the CEO, maybe I'll be happy with how the CEO is doing their job. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I think more people need to work for themselves. How did you handle that transition? Like, what did you do? It's obviously a scary step. So how did, you know. Well, you know, I started hallucinating about it uh, six years before I actually did it. When I was um, still at Hewlett Packard as an individual contributor, wage slave, I started joining uh, the uh, women's organizations uh, that were helping women entrepreneurs. And then I started taking classes at the small business center and I was learning about businesses. And then, and then I started a little business on the side doing career coaching and resume review. I put up some business cards and told people I was in business and dang, they just believed me. So <laughs> you know, at Hewlett Packard, I was, you know, passing out business cards saying, hey, Kimberly Weefling, career coaching business. 
And doing that, you know, a couple hours a month at most, not making anything. Started teaching a few workshops, you know, on the weekends at the Career Action Center. And I had a gift for entertaining people while educating them. We call it edutainment. Yeah, it's a powerful, powerful thing. So this is awesome. So, all right, so you got up and running, you started going out, and then... Ah, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was the year <laughs> 2001. It was the worst economy, you know, in decades. And, and I didn't know, I tell people, well, what I knew about running my own business, even after all I'd studied and learned and taken classes, what I knew you could shove up an ant's ass and it would still rattle around like a BB in a boxcar. So I had to learn everything. And I joined the Institute of Management Consultants. I got a mentor. I got a coach. And I tried to find business. And I took every scrap of work I could get, no matter how small or unprofitable it was. And, well, pretty much worked full time or more for the first two years, making almost maybe $25,000 a year, if I was lucky, working full time, working my butt off. Which is a huge adjustment after just having made like 175000 a year to now only making 25000 a year. I know. It's a huge adjustment. And I mortgaged my house to pay for it. Oh, my God. Wow. I took out a second mortgage on my house to the tune of, 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 you know, six figures over that next three years. And I kept thinking, well, I can always sell my house and pay it off and move to Kansas or someplace cheaper. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe the Philippines sounds like a good place to live. Um, but you know, but, but then I got some breakthroughs. I mean, just after about two years, I said, "This sucks. I'm going to keep going for six more months." And if at the end of six more months it still sucks, I'm going to go get another soul-sucking job. And then six months came and went. I put it on my calendar, and I said, "Well, I guess it didn't work out. I'll just quit." Then the next week. I get a call from somebody, hey, we want you to do some work for us. I'm like, nah, I'm quitting. And they said, oh, no, but we really need you. I'm like, okay, fine. So I didn't even ask them how much they were going to pay me. They ended up paying me like $3,000 to do a keynote speech for a conference where they had a person cancel on them last minute. And then I thought, oh, I'm back in the game. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was so discouraged, but then I was back. I was hooked again. Oh. That's fantastic. I love this story because there's so many powerful lessons in it. And one, I just right off the bat, you know, you're going to be successful because you're in it for the growth, right? You're, wow. you're not, it's not the one off like, oh, I'm going to do this for 10 days and see what happens. And, you know, like you really were committed. And, and I loved you said you just accepted all types of jobs, even if they necessarily weren't profitable, because yeah. it was de about developing the relationships and the skill set, right? It was about, That's right. it's about not being afraid of repping it out. It's knowing Absolutely. that, like Bruce Lee said, I fear the person who's practiced one kick a thousand times more than the person who's practiced only a thousand kicks only once. Oh, you know, I like about, it. Right? Yeah, right well, on. I mean, we both we both are fans of Japan. We spend a lot of time in Japan. There, There's a real sense of mastery there that I think is not necessarily present in the rest of the world. And it is in pockets. But, you know, you talked about and we talked about in your bio that common sense isn't common. You know, like, I think that's the thing, like, that 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 focus on just, like, you know, doing it until it becomes dull and then doing it until it becomes beautiful and being okay with that, with well, that you process. Well, it, it's really true. You just have to – the secret to success is just keep going, keep going. You have to be willing to do something badly first if you want to do it well. That's and right. uh, that's a hard learning curve to go through. Yep. So what was one of the greatest challenges in your business career? 
Well, I mean, just believing that I could actually do it because I had no entrepreneurial background. My family wasn't a, a model of entrepreneurship. And so I got uh, my friend, Sherry Ream, wonderful person. She suggested we do a mastermind group together. I don't know if you're familiar with mastermind. I am actually, and it's funny you bring that up. I've, I've been paid to speak at a bunch. I've probably done almost 20,000 uh, in speaking fees to speak at other people's masterminds. I helped fill a couple for clients when I was kind of, uh, consultant for them. And I actually am just launching my own right as we speak. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Yes. Now I know masterminds and they're really powerful. It's an incredible thing to do, to be a part of. And, um, sorry, keep going. It, no, no, it's so powerful. And so she and I would get together every Sunday night for an hour. And for the first half an hour, I would say, well, it seems crazy and not realistic and probably won't happen, but if anything were possible, and then I would blurt out my big crazy dreams and she would say, sure, why not? Tell me more. And uh, I think you can do it. And she just encouraged me. And after an hour of speaking, then she would take her turn. And then we'd write stuff down, say, well, here's the seven things that I want to have happen. I don't know how. Just magically, poof. And here's the one or two actions I'm going to take to lurch fitfully in that direction. And, you know, we started doing that. We did that for a couple of years. And during that time, amazing things happened. That I had to sit back and say, we're not asking big enough. We got to <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. I love that. So let's talk about that again. Sorry, break this down. So you would meet, and what would you talk about? You would blurt out your crazy ideas, yeah. seven things I want to have happen, and then at the end you would commit to some actions that you would take yeah. to just fumble in that direction, right? That's right. That's right. So when I would, like, for example, I would say, I am happily and joyfully earning, spending, and investing over $200,000 a year doing work I love for people who love and uh, appreciate me and are willing to pay me for it. I am a globally well-known well author and business leadership consultant traveling internationally uh, to spread the word to all the world. I'm transferring planet Earth for the better. You know, I just would go on like this. And who the heck did I think I was? And I said, well, it's just talking. And I, you know, conceive it, believe it, achieve it. So I was just imagining and that's what I wanted to have happen. And, you know, I love Joel Barker's uh, question, what seems impossible today, but if it were possible, would transform your work or your life for the better? And I would just put those answers down and say, well, here's seven things that seem impossible to me. Put them down in my little notebook, which I still have. And dang, if those things didn't start to show up in my life. Hold on, let's write that down. What seems impossible to you today, but what? But if it, but if it were possible, would transform your life for the better? You ask people that. That's a powerful question. What seems highly unlikely or darn near impossible today, but if it were possible, would transform your work, your life, your team, your relationship, your family for the better. And then let yourself dream big. And before that negative person in your little head, that little voice, that's, you know, that little voice. Shut that up. Have, yep. you know, before it shuts you down, you just start thinking, okay, what might that make possible? What would life be like? And just dwell in that space for a little bit before the yes buts start coming in. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. I, I think this, this simple concept and having someone that you work with, that's why I'm launching my own mastermind right now, because one, I want to be a part of one and I've, you know, and I've been yeah. a part of a bunch of others and I just, I just, I want it run the way I want it run. And I just think that it's such a powerful thing for people to be a part of. It's almost magical, right? Like it really oh. is. I mean, like you said, like after a couple of years of doing this, you now your your perspective on life changed to where you said I'm not asking for I'm not doing this yeah. big enough. Right. Well, yeah, let's, think, 
I, I think I know how it works now because it's like fish can't see water and we are swimming in an ocean of possibilities that we are blind to until we have a pattern in our brain or a dream that we can match up against the opportunities that are surrounding us. That's right. That's right. That's 100% correct. Fire, fire doesn't understand itself. It only understands wood. Right? Ah. Right? Because it understands yeah. wood so well that it makes it burn. But it can never really look at itself and see its own where its own like self-reflections. By oh. sitting around with other people and that creating the mastermind. The mastermind, for those that are new to this, the mastermind is the third mind that is created when a group of two or more people come together with a mm -hmm. mutual purpose. Right. It's that collective knowledge that you create. And all of a sudden you get outside perspective on yourself, you know, that you never saw. And you also get things like um, like personal accountability. You get support on it. You get encouragement. Things like a perfect example is I even had I have like one on one coaching works the same way. You know, it's just it. it yeah. It, one, it's almost what you did with your friend. You had a one on one two person mastermind, which is all you need. You only need two people. You know, more is not necessarily better. You do want to keep it intimate over 12 people's too many. You know, kind of like six to eight is a sweet spot for a group. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like last night I had a couple of clients, these two guys, they've got a business and something happened and they were like, oh, well, we can't let our staff do this anymore. We're just going to have to do it because they messed up. And I was like, hold on there. If you do that, you're going to be trapped in that forever. And we came up with a great, perfect strategy. And that, you know what I mean? And it's already and, and it just it's yeah. it's that outside perspective because you can get so caught up and reactive to things in your life that you stop being creative and fun loving and you know and we are so powerful as creatures so oh, anyways i yeah well i mean i i actually i learned something that was incredibly valuable back in uh, 1995 that was 6 years before i started my own business i went to a workshop that was led by barbara fitipaldi and it was called creating a vision for your future or something like that and uh break creating breakthroughs and I learned there's a way to create breakthroughs routinely. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And part of it is about changing the way we talk and the way we think. And I found it really challenging at first. But turns out there's a great book called uh, The Last Word on Power, Executive Reinvention for Leaders Who Must Make the Impossible Happen uh, by Tracy Goss that captures a lot of this methodology. And so I wrote it all down back there in 1995. And then and then I started teaching a little mini workshop on this one day version of where we would make a collage uh, that captured our goals and dreams in a visual, you know, pictures out of a magazine. Mm -hmm. yeah, and every year, I've been doing that every year since 1995. And, the, you know, the collages would always have this thing about my future. But eventually the collages, I started saying, oh, my gosh, that stuff's happening. And eventually the collages started to contain um, you know, things about my startup career. And I remember one year I was teaching, I was happy. I was in this VP job. I was making a ton of money. It was this great startup. I, I really liked it more than any job I'd ever had. And I taught this collage workshop on a Saturday and the collage, the participants said, well, Kimberly, what's your dream? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not telling you my dream because I'm pretty happy. I have a good situation. I'm making a lot of money. I have a VP position and I just started this job a few months ago. And they said, oh, come on, just tell us your dream. I'm like, no, no, because every time I talk about my dreams, they start happening and I like my job and I like my life. <laughs> so they convinced me to talk about my dream of entrepreneurship and having my own business and writing a book. And don't you know, a month later, that company went out of business. Oh, God. God. I knew it. <laughs> That's so funny. That's yeah. so funny. It didn't seem funny at the time, but looking back on it, it was such a gift. 
Yeah, that is so. Kim, Kimberly, I'm I'm enjoying this call so much because it's such a, a powerful. It, there's such a powerful message to it. I mean, everybody wants stability and security, but it just really doesn't exist. But yeah. what does exist is the skills you develop, the networks you build, and who you become. You know, and 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 being able to adapt and change and constantly drive towards designing your the life for yourself that you want. Um. So let's. Can we recap? Can you recap some of the habits you feel helped you on your path to success? These well, things, like you said, like doing the vision yeah. board and having the mastermind, and what other habits or personal rituals did you have? Definitely, uh, the mastermind got me started. The vision boards kept me inspired all year long, as I would hang them up and look at them all year round. And having a coach uh, that could help me see the back of my head—you know, you can't bite your own teeth. And uh, having a mentor, always having a coach and one or more mentors was very inspiring to me. Having a mentor who could talk to me about being an entrepreneur back when I was still just an individual contributor making a salary. And, uh, and relationships, building relationships, building connections, networking was really important. But the number one most important personal thing that I did that was a huge advantage was just the discipline to do what's required and keep going and not give up. Just the discipline. Keep going. Keep growing. Don't give up. I love that. I love that so. Whoa, I love that so much. I almost fell back in my chair. I was like, ah. I was like leaning back. I was like, yeah, like looking up at the clouds. Like, yeah, that's the way it's got to be. Anyways. <laughs> well, um, it's pretty painful, Daryl. I mean, I was crying. I was discouraged. I thought it wouldn't work. There were really dark times. And at that, those times, you need to be able to call up your friend and say, tell me again how great I am. And she'd be like, Kimberly, I see you striding on stage in a beautiful suit. And the crowd rises up and you're getting a standing ovation before you even start. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, okay. I can go on another few days. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you recommend to anyone who's starting out and struggling right now who maybe feels that they're in that scenario? You know, one of the things that really helped is for me to talk about my goals, my dreams, my ambitions without any evidence it was possible and without any idea of how to go about it. And what I found is people love to help you make your dreams come true. You tell somebody, hey, you know, I've always wanted to write a book and become a world famous author. And they say, oh, I know somebody who can publish your book for you. And then you meet them and they say, oh, yeah, I know somebody who can edit your book and Somebody else says, oh, I'll help you put together the table of contents and pretty soon, dang, if you don't have a book. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fantastic. No, I mean, it's just such a good message. And people can be so afraid to ask for help. People are afraid that's to ask for help because someone's going to steal their ideas. They're afraid to ask for help because they think they're going to be laughed at or ridiculed. They're afraid to ask for help because they just don't know. Like they just they're they're just nervous. They're afraid. But I love what you said is that most people just want to help others. You know, well, there you know, are think, bad apples out there, but whatever, you just outwork them. You know, I don't even think about it as asking for help so much as just saying, hey, I have a big, crazy dream and I have no idea how to do it. But if anything are possible, here's what I'd love to do. And here's how I'd like to contribute to our planet. And people lo just love to rush in and say, hey, I've got an idea. And yeah. since I know, you know, think about 100 percent of all knowledge and wisdom in the, in the entire universe. What percent do I personally know? Like point oh 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 one percent or something like that, and so if I talk to a bunch of people and tell them my goals and dreams, I'm sure some of them have ideas I haven't thought of or things I haven't even dreamed of. Yep, yep, yep. That's so so powerful. In fact, that was actually when you said things that you thought were impossible. I had built a successful six-figure martial arts school, 
and I wanted to do something bigger more. And I'd listened to like Jim Rohn and he was talking about how you should become a millionaire, not for the money you could give it away because of who you become at that point. So I made it my goal that I wanted to generate a million dollars. Now, I never clarified who I wanted to make the million dollars for. I just said I wanted to make a million dollars. And lo and behold, I got connected uh, with a client, actually John Asraf from The Secret. He's, he's the one that talks about his vision board he did, when he, which is what you described, the collage. Talked yeah. about he did a vision board when he was 19, and then he, later on he was unpacking boxes with his son. They're in Rancho Santa Fe in Southern California. And he pulls out this vision board from when he was 19 and realized that they were, he was living in the house he cut out of the magazine when he was 19 <gasps> years old. You know, wow. and that's his that's his his contribution to that movie, The Secret, the concept that you can attract. Anyways, that I yeah. had done this thick and grow rich process and that I got connected to him and sure enough, like eight months later, not only did we do one point six with what I built personally myself, but we did three point two to the company as a whole. Three point two million. Yeah, you gotta be careful if you of, set your goals to say a million or more. Yeah, yeah. And and be specific. I didn't make that for myself, right? Like now I know. <laughs> like I want I wanna make myself a million dollars in my bank account that I can spend, right? Because like you said, yeah. it's either not asking specifically enough or you're not asking big enough. Oh but yeah. It works. It works. It, it, really it works. works. I made that mistake when I first said, Oh, I want to have a consulting business. Well, I forgot to say a profitable consulting business. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm right? like, okay. Having a consulting business that's profitable and that I enjoy doing work. I love for people who love and appreciate me. Boy, I got that honed down over the few years. Yeah, and that'll happen. I mean, that's part of the iteration process, right? That's part of repping it out, of getting your 10,000 hours, of being in it for the process, for the grind, not right. for like the one-off event. So that's yeah. fantastic. Well, and one other thing that I found was really important was to prototype it. Uh, with The way I got started doing workshops was I just held a workshop in my home for some of my friends, and I didn't even charge them. And I did the first workshop, prototyped it, and I got some feedback. And then I went to the Career Action Center and I said, hey, I want to do this workshop. And they said, well, have you ever facilitated this workshop before? I'm like, sure. <laughs> I didn't have to tell them it was for my friends at home for free. That's, that's right. That's right. I had the experience, though. And I never talk about how much people pay me, right? Uh, because I do work that's paying my top rates and I do work that's free, nonprofit, volunteer. And I talk about it all like it's tough top tier clients. So my first, uh, you know, first coaching clients, for example, I got them by saying, I'll give you a free hour of coaching in exchange for your feedback on my process. And what I found out was that people said, Kimberly, you're better than the coaches that the Hewlett Packard hired for us when we were getting uh, laid off. And so I would get their, you know, testimonials and things like that. And then I, I was started doing executive coaching a few years later. And I call my five top five executive friends and say, Hey, I'll give you a free hour of executive coaching in exchange for your feedback on my process. And three out of the five said, come on in. And two out of the five said, when can you come back? So uh, willing to prototype it, uh, demo it, prove it works. I love that. And and you had a, a low risk offer to people to get started. I think that's a fantastic way to approach it up front, right? Let me give yeah. you a free hour of coaching in exchange for feedback on the process. I love yeah. that. I think that's super powerful. And so, I was talking with, uh, when I would talk to people in the Institute of Management Consultants, the first couple of years I was really struggling, I would talk about all my clients and all the things I was doing and how I was, you know, doing this or that workshop or coaching. And I would talk about all my clients as if they were top paying clients. And I was making almost nothing, right? I was struggling. And people in the organization would come to me and say, Kimberly, can you help me with my consulting business? I'm like, no, are you crazy? I'm barely surviving. And they'd like, you <laughs> 
successful. But who wants to hire an unsuccessful consultant for crying out loud? Right, 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 right. But at the same time, you probably still have value to give, right? Yes, I sure did. I gave value regardless of payment because back then I would have people sitting across the table from me like executives and saying, Kimberly, I'd love to hire you, but we just laid off half of our staff because this was a very dark time for the businesses locally. Right, 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 right. So in all your experience, what are some of the greatest mistakes you see your clients and other entrepreneurs making? Oh, God. Well, you know, I live in Silicon Valley, which is the uh, the hotbed of technical arrogance. And much like many, many companies all over the world, uh, they underestimate the value of the human skills, the so-called soft skills, which some of them even call the touchy-feely crap. And if you study any of the research on why teams fail, you can see that most of it is due to completely predictable and avoidable things like oh, they fail to build trusting relationships. They don't communicate effectively. They don't solve problems, make decisions using rigorous, uh, well-understood methodologies. They don't have clear goals even. Their goals of the individual and team aren't aligned. I mean, every single one of those is basically a failure of leadership. And I'm not talking about leadership being the same as management. Leadership is not position or title. It's a way of behaving. You you build relationships, you build trust, you communicate effectively, you make sure the goals are clear, you get people aligned, and then you execute to a plan and, and you pivot. You know, I mean, this is not rocket science. It's much harder because it involves human beings. Right. Yes. And there's and, and people, I mean, anytime I've been a part of it, whether it's a mastermind or a coaching program or just talking with entrepreneurs in a group, staff issues, team issues constantly comes up. But one of the things is that it's it's – it's like you said, I think leadership really leads it, is, is articulates it well. Again, the clients I just worked with, right? They wanted to, they're, 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 they had someone, they, they didn't have a process in place, they didn't have a system to, to help support this person in their role. person skipped a step, didn't realize the client would notice or care, and it became a problem and an issue. And then their default was, I can't rely on this person to do it, as opposed to, right, like, let's improve, like, let's lead. Let's lead from the right. front. Let's set clear goals. Let's communicate with them. You know, let's build trust between everyone that we can make this a process where we get better and better so this never happens again. And everyone, you know, right. and let's, you know, it's, so that's, 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 a, yeah, it's a real mindset thing. Um, well, yeah, and I call it the three Ps, right? There's product and technology. Everybody is all, all over that because that's the exciting stuff. And then there's business processes, you know, products and process. And process is, seems bureaucratic sometimes to people, but, but basic common sense isn't common practice and project management is an important and valuable skill. But even if you have great products and a nice process, but the people stuff sucks, you're still going to have problems. And like something like 82% of teams globally in one study by the Sloan Business School of Management that they published in one of their magazines, 82% of the teams globally said, nah, we haven't reached even our own goals for ourselves. And it was for number one reason, fail- failure to build trusting relationships. And number two reason was communication. And it's mm. pathetic. And I'm like, wow, as a physicist, I didn't know anything about human beings and skills to communicate. When I first got out of school, I had to learn it all the hard way. Right, 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 right. But that seems to have been served you very, very, very well, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, because now when I work with organizations, you know, technologists don't want to learn some of these things from the HR person because they think, what do they know? But I've got products out the door. I know how to do manufacturing. I've done r and I've been you know, working in operational roles where you have to get stuff done. And so I'm not just somebody telling them some theory about human interaction and team dynamics. Right. Yeah, it is an art and a science. And it's and the results are, are you can easily quantify the results. 
Yeah. So do you feel that anything ever held you back on your journey? Oh, geez. Do we have to talk about it? I'm a woman physicist, Daryl. <laughs> when I was going through uh, graduate school, there were 2% women in physics that had been flat for 20 years. And I think it's still just about 2%. Uh, so yeah, I kind of stood out. And uh, also, I'm not a wallflower. I'm a pretty boisterous, uh, aggressive, uh, loud, noisy kind of, uh, oh, very emotional and expressive person. So uh, I did not fit in at all, not just because of my gender, but because of my style. Uh, so that that was tough. And so that's why I say I'm just so happy that I found this career facilitating workshops, because I'm like a karaoke performer, right? I'm like a, a Japanese game <laughs> show host. And, and I, they love it. And when I'm working with people full time, I just wear them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that. <laughs> They know they get their money's worth because they're fatigued. And you're like, I need to go home and take a nap now. Yeah. Well, one of my bosses, I, I guess I worked for this one guy full time for uh, about a year and a half. And then after I started my consulting business, he hired me two different businesses to do consulting for him. And he said, you know, Kimberly, I think one or two days a week of you is about the right dose. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I don't know if it's compliment or what, but thank you. <laughs> uh, I think it's true. And so I think I am. You know, if I knew the perfect job for me existed, I would have never stopped looking for it. Turns out that doing this work, uh, facilitating organizations, workshops, and you know, post M&A integrations and other kinds of strategic planning and project management, facilitating those events is me at my highest and best, and I'm great at it. And what I'm really not good at is going every day to the same job and somehow fitting in and being patient and working with people. Uh, that are uh, just uh, going at a pace that I just can't stand. It's like watching paint paint dry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's like asking a fish to climb a tree, you know. And that's yes, and it a is. lot of people. We grow up in some. Some of us grow up in either we might grow up in a big city, but we might grow up in a suburb of this big city, or we grow up in a small town or a small community, and we don't realize how big the world is and how many flavors there are out there and how many colors of the rainbow there are. And so we feel like this is the way life has to be because this is who I am. And, you know, I'm a square peg and the world is a round hole. And they yeah. don't realize that there is a place for you. And not only a place for you, right. but a place where when you're all in alignment, not only do you find that place, but all the, like, the stars kind of align for you, right? Where yes. everything clicks, you're, you're in your zone, you're doing what you, you do best, you're, you're good at it because you enjoy it. So, you know, like, you, you love your work, it's no longer work, you know, and then you just start providing this, vir it's this virtuous cycle. And it comes and goes. It's like anything, right? The tide comes and goes. So there'll be good times and bad phases of that. But I mean, yeah. it'd be way better than just showing up to that job you hate. That's, you know, that factory that's up the street that, you know, that, you know, you can go and you can pick a couple of berries off that tree and you can, you know, you won't die because the berries are enough to keep you alive. But you know, you, you really <laughs> well, don't like the taste and you really don't like the flavor and you're still starving at the end of the night and you're feeling unfulfilled. You know, yeah. like that's, that's what a lot of people end up doing, right? They can't. Well, that's right. You look at the employee engagement, uh, data from Gallup Institute, and you see, you know, worldwide, 15% of people engaged in their work. The U.S. is so-called the best at like 35%. And in Japan, where I've been going every month for about 10 years until recently, uh, engagement is 6%. 94% of people in Japan are either not engaged or actively disengaged in their jobs. Basically, people hate their jobs, and it's wage slavery. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's definitely a new form. It's a modern version of slavery, for sure. And a lot of yeah. And there's no need for it, actually. Uh, there should be a way to find what you're great at. And I love what you said about the fish climbing a tree. I tell people, hey, I'm a horse. If you want to climb a tree, get a squirrel. 
I won't be offended. Yeah, 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 no, that makes perfect sense. So what was one of the, I mean, I, I feel like we kind of gave some of the best advice. Is there anything that you would say was the best advice you ever got? Well, I think uh, I'd rather be lucky than good. So <laughs> <laughs> I look for lucky opportunities, Daryl, and uh, my eyes were open to luck when it appeared in my life because I did the collage and I had my goals written down and, and I would talk to people about what my dreams are. And then when you start being open to the possibility of lucky things happening, it's funny how much more luck you notice in your life. So I was really lucky. And whenever luck showed up in front of me, I would say, wow, here it is. And I would jump all over it and take full advantage of it rather than just giving it a half-hearted attempt. So for example, uh, you know, I said, oh, I want to be a global business consultant. And so I was teaching at uh, UC Extension Santa Cruz in the project management program. And then the English Language Institute said, hey, Kimberly, we got a two-hour workshop or some visiting Japanese. It doesn't pay much and it's 50 miles away from your house. But if you could help us out, and I said, sure. So I drive down there first for the welcome party, no pay. I drive down there for the workshop, two hours. I do a bang up, amazing job. Then I drive down there the, the next week for the goodbye party, and I take each of them an individual gift and a handwritten note oh, card. Oh, they love that. They, they loved me. And the yeah. person, little did I know, the person who was one of the executives in this company, she was saying, who the hell is this woman? She's not a normal American. So the next year, uh, you know, I, I just made, what, 200 bucks for all that hours of work and all that driving. The next year, they come back with another Japanese company, and they ask for me for a full day. And I do the same thing. I give it all I've got. And dang, if she she says, Kimberly, why don't you come to Japan? We have lots of clients. I think that they would love to see you in Japan. And so after that, we made an agreement. And by the end of that year, I started going to Japan just about every month. That's fantastic. And Japan oh, is a fun place to visit. I love Japan. It's such a fun place. It's fun. And the people love, love my style. And the Japanese companies are a really perfect match for me because they have a choice, change or die. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was so shocked when you said they only have a 6% engagement rate because their population is declining. Right. They, you know, like they, they've got to have more skin in the game at this point, right? Like, uh, well, see, yeah, that's right. The population is going to cut in half in the next couple of decades. And uh, they're going to have the, one of the hugest worker shortages in the world. Uh, like uh, Germany and Japan will have huge, almost 20% worker shortages. And so they have to uh, hire non-Japanese people, crazy foreigners like me, and figure out how to work with us. And yeah. the other thing is there's no growth really in Japan, the declining population. So if you want to grow your revenues as a Japanese company, you have got go outside. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, so and that's a huge to... problem because they're so like, they, there's the culture shock there, you know, there, there's the fear of, you know, I mean, they, a lot of the companies have subsidiaries in other parts of the world, but culturally, right there, it's a really shy culture. Um, yeah. can't, until 5 p.m., Daryl, when they have a beer. Oh. That's right. Yeah, that's right. The, the liquid courage, right? Yeah. So I convince them, I tell them, you want to wait until 5 p.m. to get creative and compete with your competitors? Hey, if I were you, I'd be competing all day long. So I convince them to act like they do after 5 p.m. during the day. Yeah. And then yeah. The thing is drinks at noon. <laughs> well, they don't want to make and they don't want to make mistakes. And so I tell them, you know, of course, you know, Japanese hate failure and hate risk taking and mistake making. So I tell them, well, in my workshops, you have to make at least three mistakes a day or you fail the workshop. And they're like, mm. I have to make yeah. mistakes or I fail. And then I have them celebrate mistake making. And they're like, Kimberly, I made a mistake. Please write it down. 
amazing. Amazing. That is so fantastic. That is so fantastic. So where do you see the future trends of your industry of, you know, doing these workshops and helping with project management and strategic planning? Oh, you know, I think a lot of uh, the learning and development is going into online, virtual, self-paced. And I'm not so excited about that trend. I understand the cost efficiency of that. And honestly, there's no reason to have people get in the same room together if they're just going to hear a lecture that they could catch on video or reading a book or doing some kind of online class. So, I mean, I, I'm really seeing a direction of when you do get together, maybe it's more rare, but when you do, it's all about interactive adult learning theory, experiential, a real project focus applied to your real work. I think that's really powerful. And I think that that's probably the way that to make it happen is to have it be, um, you know, maybe the introductory stuff is online and after the interaction. Oh, well, so that's what Steve Blank does in the flipped classroom model. He teaches at UC Berkeley and he has no lectures in his class. They watch all the lectures on video. They come to classroom for dialogue and interaction. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so perfect. And also so, all of this has been researched very well by Knowles long ago, a K-N-O-W-L-E-S, research adult learning theory. And adults don't learn from lecture and the retention rates are terrible. If you read something or learn something from a boring lecture, you forget 50% of it immediately and 80% of it within two months. Yeah, yeah. Whereas if it's hands-on, then all of a sudden, right, it just becomes, right. becomes alive. Yeah, yeah you want to get stronger, extra, you know, want to get stronger muscles. You don't read a book about exercise. You go to the gym and you exercise. Well, that's what I call my learning gym, my learning laboratory. You go in there, you do experiments, you, you practice it. And then you can always learn more theory later. But, you know, everyone in the U.S. knows how to lose weight, but 60% of us are overweight. You know, eat less and exercise more. Hey, theory doesn't do anything for us. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, fair enough. So what are you working on that right now that you're really passionate about? What am I working on now? Uh, well, you know, I'm really excited about the Arctic Ice Cap. Uh, this is a volunteer organization I've been helping for the past, oh, I don't know, uh, 10 or 12 years off and on, but I've gotten really involved lately. So the Arctic Ice Cap is a big reflecting surface of ice, and it used to be multi-year ice, which uh, would be like Earth's heat shield. But now the Arctic ice cap melts every summer, and so the new ice is only first-year ice, so it's only 40% reflective instead of 80 or 90% reflective. And so the loss of that reflectivity has um, contributed, according to the climate models, about a 25 to 50% of the increase in global temperatures. And so this group is developing some technology that can allow people to shield the ice, protect the ice in a safe way that's localized and reversible so that they're not trying to geoengineer the whole world in dangerous ways that can't be undone if something goes wrong. That's, so I'm helping them. That's such a relief. One, because I, I've said, as I said before the call uh, recently, uh, last six months, I took a flight, maybe more, eight months, I took a flight and I went over the North Pole and I freaked out because I was looking at the window of the plane and I was looking at the little map that you could see. And yeah. I remember as a kid, you know, the globe that we had had this big block of ice at the top of the earth. And I looking out the window and I'm like, there's sprinkles. Like there's nothing yeah. left. I was just so shocked. I felt like, why isn't this on news? Like if everybody could see the before and after, like, hey, this is 15 years ago. Hey, this is today. Uh, you know, 15 years ago, there's something today. There's nothing. More people would like, I'm like, it just freaked me out. It totally freaked well, me out. NASA has a great video showing the loss of ice over the last few decades. And it's so far away, it's hard to understand, but it's kind of like Earth's temperature control or Earth's refrigerator. And it's changed the 
it's changed the airflow current, so it's impacting Greenland and Iceland. You know, I'm not a climate scientist. I'm just trying to help these people build build relationships, build a team, build a plan, and then execute that plan. Because what I my specialty is helping people achieve what seems impossible, but is merely difficult. And uh, I love impossible challenges. I give a lecture every year in the climate management, climate engineering class on how to achieve impossible results. And uh, and what I found is it takes anywhere from six months to 10 years to do things that are impossible. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is so fantastic. So if anyone listening to this feels like they have something impossible to yes. achieve, how do they reach out? How do they get in touch? What's the best? Oh, the best uh, just call the police. They'll know where I am. Ah, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kimberly at weefling.com. That's just my name uh, spelled or... Um, you know, send me an email, search me. I'm the only Kimberly Weefling on the internet, W-I-E-F as in Frank, L-I-N-G. Search for Scrappy Project Management. That's my book where I capture the practical common sense guide to how to get stuff done in projects. And I, you know, I'm really happy to talk with people. I understand why people are facing some truly seemingly impossible, insurmountable challenges. And I have a methodology to help overcome that. So again, for people listening, check out Scrappy Project Management and Google it, or go to Kimberly Weefling, W-I-E-F-L-I-N-G. You can go to KimberlyWeefling.com. You can look for her on social media. Definitely yeah. give her a reach out. I love this. If you have an impossible task, Kimberly can help you achieve it in six months to 10 years. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's not easy, right? But I have got 67 examples from this one company of projects that started off as seemingly impossible. And then six months later, uh, they are just waiting for budgetary approval. And we use a process for that. But part of the reason, Daryl, that it's so easy to do impossible things is because what people think is impossible would just shock you. I mean, right. people, some people have told me, I asked them, what do you think seems impossible? But if it were possible, it would transform your life. And one guy tells me, clean up my office. I mean, yeah. come on, people, we got to raise our sights a bit. Yeah, you got to raise your standard. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yes, you know that. You're dreaming too small. Dream bigger. Yeah, 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 yeah. So true. Kimberly, this has been a fantastic interview. I love your energy. I just, this has been a breath of fresh air. It's been a great way for me to start my day. Is there, is there anything I didn't ask you that I should have asked you? Oh, well, I guess you could ask me about all my flaws, but luckily we don't have time to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a normal human being with many flaws. And the only difference between me and people who haven't succeeded yet is I just kept going and refused to give up even when I felt discouraged. Uh, I don't want people to think, well, she's just special. No, I'm just a normal person who just kept going. And that's what I like people to do is just keep going, have a dream, and just lurch fitfully in the direction of that dream. And don't give up. And for God's sakes, don't listen to people who discourage you and tell you why it's not feasible or realistic. And that's such a powerful thing. I actually, uh, regrettably, just got someone out of my life three months ago who was a discouraging, negative influence on me, kind of a little bit every day. And, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't it was enough to, you know, it's the whole concept, like you drop a frog in a pot of hot water, they jump yeah. out, right? But if it's just a little warmer every day, they stay yeah. there. And it's, you just be, the, the damage I can feel and, and the impact of having eliminated them it's yes. been incredible. It's like, it's like, how do I, it's just like running with heavy boots and all of a sudden you've taken them off. Yeah. Like it's just absolutely. been night and day. So when you say like, don't, you know, by forgot, for goodness sake, stay away from anyone that, how did you phrase it? 
Oh, stay away from people who are like psychic vampires, the citizens against virtually everything, the cave people. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's unrealistic and is it's not feasible. Those of you who say it can't be done, please stay out of the way of those of us doing it. Yeah. You know, and I'm not a religious person, but I still love this quote. And it says, don't expect others to understand your grind when God didn't give them your vision. Ah, interesting. And I love that. Like, again, I grew up in a house of physics. So, but I just love Uh, that. Like, if you have a vision, nobody else can see your vision because it's yours. So don't expect them to understand your grind. And, you know, and they can weigh you down. They can slow you down. Their negative input and influence can be a distraction. It can just be signal to noise, right? It's just increasing the noise. They keep away from the psychic vampires, weed your life of those kinds of people. Uh, you know, they're not ill-intentioned. Those people are trying to spare us from failure and disappointment. But I can handle failure and disappointment. What I can't handle is a life without dreams. Mm. Oh, so well said. Kimberly, this has been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you for coming and sharing with my audience and giving so much value. Uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure just a short time that we've known each other the last, I think, what, maybe six months or so. Yeah. And I'm just looking forward to seeing what we, impossible things we both accomplish over the next 10 years. Awesome. Possum, Daryl. Thank you so much for your time. You've reached the end of our interview. Now, first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.